A wonderful good morning to you, brothers and sisters. It is a blessing to once again open the Word of God together. Please turn in your Bibles as we continue our journey through the book of Luke. We find ourselves in Luke chapter 23 this morning. In our focus, um, we will read from verse 50 all the way to verse 56 of that chapter. Luke chapter 23 from verse 50. Shall we bow our heads this morning and pray before we would um, look at the Word of God? Our dear Heavenly Father, we bow before you this morning. We say thank you so much for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that your God is faithful in all your ways. We are reminded that you became sin for us. So meek, so lowly, yet so great and mighty. You died a death you did not deserve. You rescued men such as us. Even in your death, we desire this morning Come, walk on that place where you laid and meditate of the infinite grace that you have bestowed towards us. It is for the glory and honor of your name we ask. May God's people say amen. Luke chapter 23 from verse 50, hear the word of the Lord. We read in that section, uh, the Bible tells us now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Armathia. He was a member of the council, he was a good, man, a good and a righteous man. He had not consented to their decision and action and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man, he went to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in a linen shroud, laid it, he laid him in a tomb. Cut in stone, where no one had yet been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed, and they saw the tomb. And how his body was laid. 
Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath they rested according to the commandments. May God bless the reading and the teaching of his word. Amen. As we come to this particular section, you remember we last time looked at the scandal and the sweetness of the grace of God as we walked through and we found ourselves on the cross. We saw Jesus Christ taken from trial to crucifixion. We saw Jesus Christ moving and we've been seeing him entering Jericho as he comes down and he states his mission in chapter 19 invested in the house of Zacchaeus, that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. At this point in time, the Lord Jesus Christ has breathed his last. And we also have been told in the preceding verses that he has committed his spirit in the hands of his Father. And there are people, as they stood at the foot of the cross, they returned home and they were beating their breast. It is a sight that you dare not to see at this point in time because the Son of God, one who spanned the universe in its glory, now lays silent. The hands that once broke bread and fed five thousand men is now pierced with nails. One who spoke with utter amazement, like not like the rabbis of the day, one who spoke with such great authority and command that he would say, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you cannot come into the kingdom of God unless you are born again. One who spoke with such authority, one who commanded the stones and the sea. Now, mute. The giver of life is now dead. The iron of it is that now we may behold and we may see as though God is dead. But yet, in such a dark state when nobody dares to come. I want us to look at a few things here in this passage. We are presented here with a disciple by the name of Joseph. And a few things that I want us to see in verse 50, there's this conflicted disciple. Everyone else is running away. Peter, James, and John, you would expect them that they'll be there. You would expect that they will take the guards to say that, okay, we want to see him. No, everything that Jesus Christ had spoken about, all the teachings, it's as though at this point in time, everything has been erased in the minds of the disciples. And the disciples are nowhere to be seen. You remember, they have ran away from him. 
But now there was a man, that's how we are introduced to this conflicted disciple, a man named Joseph from Jewish town of Arimathea. Who is this man? We are introduced in that particular verse, 50. He was a, he was a member of the council. What else are we told about this man? Secondly, he is a good and a righteous man. Look at verse 50 and 51. The Bible says he had not consented to their decision and action. In other words, this would be a conflicted disciple. The reason I'm calling him a conflicted disciple because this man was among us, you remember when we were speaking about the scandal and the sweetness of the grace of God, among us those who were bringing accusations and allegations against Jesus Christ, among us those who were bringing charges against Jesus, among us those we have seen all the way from chapter 21 going to this particular chapter, those ones who were seeking to destroy Jesus, the scribes, the Pharisees, the chief priests, Chapter 22 tells us the assembly of the elders of the people, the priests and the scribes, these ones who are plotting and planning to kill Jesus Christ. Apparently, in that whole caucus and in that cabinet, if you want to call it, there is this one man who is conflicted, he stands out as a minority, yet he's bold enough. He's a righteous man. That's what the Bible describes him to us. Luke could speak to him about it. He's a leader, but yet he has no following. Let me put it like that. He is a man who is standing on that which he is convinced is right. This is why the Bible describes him as a righteous man. You see, at core, what, what, what else do we see about this man? This man, there, there, is, there is this aspect about him. Not only is he a righteous and a godly man, but look at the, 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 the next description that sets him apart from all the other leaders. And he said he was looking for the kingdom of God. A member of the council, a good and a righteous man, he had not consented to their uh, decision, apparently from, from that statement, then we, we can also infer and we can see there that, okay, it looks as though there was a voting that took place when they were about to lay charges on Jesus Christ. And we see in the book of John, you remember, Ananias would say, no, but it is, it, is, it, is, it, is, it is fitting that one must die for the sins of many. Ananias would even prophesy about that. And in that council, I want you to know this, there is also another secret disciple who was also seeking the kingdom of God. Do you know who he is? Nicodemus. Because when you read the book of John, actually, if, when you read the book of John, actually this man is not by himself. Nicodemus is also with him. 
looking for the kingdom, seeking for the kingdom. He's not consenting to what the people are saying, and if this makes him to stand up, there's a principle that I really want us just to look at and to, to learn from this, that this is a man who, as a leader, he is not seeking praises of men, he is not seeking the majority of, of the majority vote, but rather he is seeking to please God. He is seeking to please the Lord. As such, he sets himself apart, not just as a conflicted disciple, but secondly, I want you to see that he is a courageous disciple. What makes him courageous? Look at verse 52. This man went to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in a linen sword, and laid him in a tomb, cut in stone. He's so courageous enough, his courage makes him to go to Pilate. When everybody else is running away to even associate themselves, the disciples, remember that, the disciples don't even want to associate themselves with Jesus. The living Jesus. Not even about the, de the, the dead Jesus. That one who is, in their eyes, it's as though he has expired. In their eyes, it, it, it is as though this one who said that he's going to, 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 to rise. Why is he now dead? This one who said that he's a giver of life. Look at him, he has expired. In their eyes, they have nothing to do with him. The words of Isaiah 53 he has no appearance that we should desire him. As they behold him at this particular time, brothers and sisters, that Isaiah description is so fitting at this particular time. He is a man of sorrow who is afflicted with grief. At this point in time, he has been condemned for the sins that he did not commit. At this point in time, he is forsaken Christ by God the Father. At this point in time, as he hangs on the cross, nobody else is courageous enough to even associate with him. In the minds of the disciples, not only are they even sure whether what he is being accused of is true, but at this particular time, now he's dead, it is as though it is authentically true that he is now being condemned because he's a sinner. And the disciples at this point in time, they forget that surely he borne our grief. Surely he is carrying our sorrows. Yet at this point in time, the disciples esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. At this point in time, Jesus Christ is indeed pierced for our transgressions, is Christ for our iniquities. At this point in time, upon him, the chastisement that brought us peace is laid upon him. Yes, by his wounds we've been healed. But at this point in time, Jesus Christ, he has no form or majesty that men should look at him. No beauty that they could desire him. Men despise him. Men reject him at this point in time. Men are hiding their faces from him. He's despised. And nobody's esteeming him. But there is one courageous man who stands out and goes out to Pilate and takes the body of Jesus down from the cross. 
Why? Because as this man is doing this, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, this man is too fulfilling the scriptures. He's a conflicted disciple, but he is doing that which he has been following Jesus. Call him an undercover disciple. He's been following Jesus. He's been seeking the kingdom of God. And as he comes and as he does this, this is in fulfillment to what the Bible, Isaiah had spoken 700 years ago. What is it? And he was made, they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. So this has to be fulfilled, this piece of scripture. And the rich man who is going to do this is this man from Arimathea. An undercover disciple. Conflicted. Courageous. But before they would remove the, the body of Christ from the cross, they, not only do we see this conflicted disciple, not only do we see this courageous courage in this disciple, but they, there has to be a confirmation. They have to confirm. Is this man on the cross really and truly dead? And the Bible tells us that they had to confirm if the body of Jesus was dead. And they confirmed it, that he was surely and truly dead. So this man, they take him, they lay him in the tomb, fulfilling the scriptures. And it's not happening any other day the Bible tells us there's a consecrated day. It was the day of preparation. And the Sabbath was beginning. And we have the women we are going to see next time. The women are looking on the side. Can you see it's not the men? I want you to see all the disciples at this point in time, all the men, the twelve, are not there. But even in his death, Jesus Christ has this disciple who is not spoken of anywhere else. We don't hear about this man before even when Jesus Christ was beginning his ministry. But there is this man that the Lord would have it in his salvation plan. The Lord would have it in the whole deal as he was coming into Jerusalem. He knew as to where he was going. God had already planned everything to such a point that we find ourselves at this point in time as he's going to be now laid to the grave and to this tomb where no one had ever laid. Every hand involved in this whole transaction is a hand that is being orchestrated by the sovereign hand of a sovereign God. But here is the lesson that what I want you to see here, that even in the death of Jesus Christ, even in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, I just want you to see there are men that are being saved as a good, but also they are being revealed to us as God is in his predestined plan, in his sovereignty, 
in his wisdom, he is allowing us to see something so unique and peculiar about himself. But also about what he is able to do. I want us to go back, even as we finish. Go back to verse 47 of the same chapter. We see the centurion. When the centurion saw what had taken place, what is he doing? He praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. Then what else do we see? All the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, what do they do? They returned home, and what are they doing? They are beating their breasts. When does that remind you? What does that remind you? The two men, the Pharisee and the tax collector, as they stood in the temple, the Pharisee stood before God and said, I am holy and righteous. I tithe two times a week. I tithe every aspect of my, my possession, and I, I make sure I fast two times a week. And remember what the tax collector would do? He would bang on his chest and he would say, have mercy on me, O oh God. Why? Because I am a sinner. Remember the words that Jesus Christ says. Which one of the two went home justified? It's a rhetorical question. The answer was this one who was a tax collector. And what I want you to see here, as these people are going home, they realize that they have sinned. They realize that this man is innocent and they are not. And they acknowledge of their own sin, just like the centurion is. There's every evidence that this centurion, at this point in time, sees of his own sinfulness and looks at the sight. This man who has expired is not just an expired man. He's the savior of the world. And the people too, as they beat their, their breast, what are they doing? They are looking at themselves and realizing that they are but sinners. In his death, here's my point, even in his death, he justifies sinners. Even in his death, It's not as though Joseph here is, is taking Christ and is in control of Christ. No, it is him who is being accepted. Because the one that Joseph is taking from the cross is the one who holds the life of Joseph together in the palms of his hands. He's not dead. Because he's the author of life himself. Brothers, even the privilege to serve the Lord and to minister to Him in His death at this point in time. This man Joseph is but fulfilling what the scripture had said 700 years ago through the mouth of Prophet Isaiah. Now, here is my point. And this is a lesson that I really want us to take. Even in times when you and I will be awarded an opportunity that we stand out when everybody else is taking a view that is contrary to ours. 
we need to consider it as a work of grace in our lives. The goodness, the righteousness that this man was showing forth, the goodness, the righteousness that you and I can show forth, it's not our own goodness. Because this one that he is taking from the cross, look at the irony there, look at the, look, look at the paradox there. This one who Joseph is taking from the cross has become sin for Joseph's sake so that this Joseph will become the righteousness of God in him. Do you see that? Look, it's describing Joseph as a righteous man. But Joseph is not righteous because of Joseph's sake. Joseph is righteous. Let's, let's go a bit deeper here and look at the theological implications of this. He is not righteous because of his own self-righteousness. It is Christ who has made this Joseph righteous. One, James chapter 1 verse 17, every good and perfect gift comes from God, he comes from above, he comes from him, the father of all lights. And any goodness that we see in this Joseph, it's not a goodness that is coming from Joseph himself. Let me connect with what Pastor Ponyoli preached the other week. We read from the book of 1st, 2nd Corinthians in chapter 3, Paul will tell us this and he says that our sufficiency does not come from ourselves, our sufficiency comes from God. Why? Because it is him who has made us able ministers of the new covenant. So therefore what Joseph is doing, although he may seem to be a conflicted disciple who is standing out in the midst when there is a popular majority view and he stands out as a minority view and he does the right thing. It is not in his own strength he's doing that. And the very act of him serving, and this is where we finish, him serving the Lord as he's coming to serve the body of the Savior who has been crucified. It is not because he's smart and he's clever than anyone else around him. It is by God's grace that God in his sovereignty, and I've said this, the sovereign hand of God is actually at work behind this hand of Joseph. Why? Because God already promised this in Isaiah chapter 53. And Joseph is just walking, if I may use the words of Paul, in the good works which God had already prepared before the foundations of the world. What is our point? Our Savior, our Master, and our Lord, He is calling us that we move from being conflicted disciples to be courageous disciples. Our Savior and our Master, here in His death, He is really and truly showing us that He alone is the one who is able to justify those who humble themselves before Him and they would look at themselves and look at Him as the one who is innocent, one who is righteous and holy, and we come to the place where we realize of our need. But in that same needful state, we come and we humble ourselves to serve Him. What is it that you are seeking for? For Joseph of Arimathea, he was looking for the kingdom of God.
May that be our passion, that we seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and he will be glorified in us. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you so much. As we look at you, even as we ponder on this passage, we see who you are. That in time, you decided to become a man, yet there is everything in your word that is showing us that even in your death, you are still powerful. Even in your death, you still save and justify sinners for your glory. May our eyes be fixed on you. May our hearts long after your kingdom, that you be the Lord, you be the master. That even as you have entrusted to us as your under shepherds, as servants in various places in our city, you cause us to continue to fix our gaze on you and not to trust in ourselves. Help us to be humble. Help us to live a holy life. Help us that even in times when we stand for the truth, we will know that the good we see is your good. And the works we do are your works. For we cannot work for you. We cannot serve you. We are unable and incapable unless you would help us. So, grant us the ability through your Holy Spirit. Pray as well, mindful of my brother, my friend, co-worker, Benjamin and his wife. Father, we continue to pray for him even uh, for the next weeks as he embarks on his trip back to Zambia. Oh God, we are frail. We are weak. We are fearful. But you are strong. Promised in your word that your grace is sufficient for us. Your strength is perfected in weakness. Go before your servant, strengthen his wife. Grant her the peace that surpasses all understanding. Where it all seems impossible, Father, we pray that you will work out. We still trust you. We trust you, Lord, that you cause all things to work together for how good. May Benjamin and his wife fix their eyes on you in this time, for you keep in perfect peace him whose mind is stayed on you. So do that, that they will experience that perfect peace. Give the doctors wisdom. We pray, Lord, for every necessity, whether it be financial and any other support they might need. May you provide for their needs according to your riches in glory. In Jesus Christ, our Lord, Father, we pray.